Okay, we're going to have our main Bible reading now, which is Luke chapter 2. So if you'd like to follow with me. I'm reading from the ESV. And it says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. 
She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favour of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in a group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. I'll do keep that text open. We're going to be having a look at that together. There's an outline in your service sheet as to where we're going and, of course, opportunities at the end to ask any questions or make any comments. Um, Before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who is truthful, good and sovereign. And therefore, we pray now as we come to your word that we would vindicate you by listening to your word, to trusting it and being obedient to it. In Jesus' name, amen. There are a number of elements that make up a typical nativity play. I mean, there is cause to question of who is going to be what. But once Mary and Joseph and the innkeeper and the three wise men are assigned, there are any number of roles that can be played as shepherds and animals. Camels, cows, sheep, donkeys... Now, with the different roles, there comes the respective costumes and not least the iconic tea towels on the heads of the shepherds. And then there are the nativity songs, whether it be your more classic uh, little donkey, little donkey on the dusty road or oh Christmas tree, oh Christmas tree, how lovely are your branches or something more modern, knockety knock or clean the stable. Now, the impression that such nativities leave us with are cute, warm, and fuzzy. Something for the kids and the grandparents. Everyone can go home afterwards congratulated at having remembered their lines and all and sundry having a nice time. Well, we're in Luke chapter 2 this morning, which includes the account of the birth of Jesus. And it's an opportunity, not least, to see how Luke's account 
compares with what has been commonly depicted in primary schools up and down the country. The account begins in Luke chapter 2 on a note concerning the occupying rule of the Romans at that time. But there's a reason for thinking that it's not the Romans, but God, who is in control of events. The birth of Jesus has already been foretold back in Luke chapter 1. We were told in Luke chapter 132 that he would be given the throne of his um, father David. And there is an expectation, therefore, that he will be born in the city that the Old Testament promised would be the birthplace of such a ruler. And Bethlehem's association as the birthplace of this ruler is suggested in Micah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now, to be fair, Luke is only presenting the event, but he is allowing those who know the Old Testament to make the association. Rome, therefore, is being portrayed as an unconscious agent in God's work. At this point, there can be a tendency to get excitable about the shepherds. Listen to how one author put it. The birth announcement did not come first to rich, powerful or really good people. No, shepherds were the first ones to hear about the birth of God's lamb. Poor, smelly, sinful shepherds were the first to hear the good news about Jesus announced loud and clear. The shepherds are often characterised as representing the downtrodden, the despised of society, so that the first proclamation of the gospel is said to have come to sinners. But where do we get that from? Well, we probably got it from the person that first told us. And then we're simply repeating what has been taught. But is that right? The shepherd motif in the Bible is largely positive. In the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, David were all shepherds at some point in their lives. God describes himself as a shepherd of his people. The New Testament will portray shepherds in a favourable light. When we get to Luke chapter 15, Jesus will tell a parable about the shepherd who seeks and finds the lost sheep. And Jesus makes a comparison with himself and the shepherd. As the shepherd who seeks and finds the lost sheep, so Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. Leaders of the church will be described as shepherds. And so the presence of the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 is not a negative point. The point concerning who Jesus has come to save at this moment is Israel. That is who is in view in the for all the people of chapter 2, verse 10. And it's what we saw back in, if you remember chapter 1, verse 33, that this king will reign over the house of Jacob. 
And it's not until we get to Luke's second volume, the book of Acts, that we see this salvation extend to everyone else, the Gentiles. Now, to be fair, you get hints of it on the way. So, for example, Luke chapter 2, verse 32, speaks of this salvation as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. But that is rare in Luke's gospel. You have to wait till you get to the book of Acts. For now, Luke's interest is how Jesus fulfills Israel's expectations. Interestingly, the angel's departure back in Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 15, leads the shepherds to discuss what they have heard. And their discussion resolves in a decision to go to Bethlehem. And what do they find? God's word has come to pass. Everything is just as God said it would be. So Luke chapter 2, verse 20 And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Here is the note of assurance to Luke's readers. And if you remember, back in his introduction, Luke told us why he is writing. So Luke chapter 1, verse 3 It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. So Theophilus has been taught about the things of Jesus, and Luke is writing to reassure him of the truth of them. He wants wants him to know the accuracy and the certainty of what it is that he has been taught. Now, Luke is not the first account of what has happened that was written. Many people are writing about it now, chapter 1, verse 1. And that is why Luke wants to get the story right. And so he goes back and checks the details and provides his own account. And this is something for us to keep coming back to as we read through Luke in the coming weeks and months. This note of assurance that we would be confident in the things that we have been taught. Simeon gives a blessing to the parents and then gives a special word to Mary. And it's not entirely encouraging. Have a look at Luke chapter 2, verse uh, 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus is the promised child who represents God's coming salvation to Israel and the nations. However, the first ominous note also comes. Jesus will divide Israel. And there are two groups. Those who reject Jesus are headed for a fall. And those who accept him are headed for vindication. 
Jesus' ministry will show where people's hearts really are before God. Simeon then turns from the effects of Jesus on the, the nation Israel to the effects that Jesus will have on Mary. And whilst the emphasis has been on, on the division that Jesus brings, here we learn that it will be the nature of his suffering that will bring extreme emotional pain to his mother. As well as Simeon, there is also Anna. And together with Mary and Elizabeth, she rejoices in Jesus. And this note of thanksgiving that comes from Anna adds to the notes of joy and gratitude that we've already seen characterise the infancy material. And she testifies to the fulfilment of Israel's hope for redemption. And as we look back over the account in Luke chapter 2, there is a mood of wonder, praise, and expectation that fills it. And what we're going to find is that Luke commonly places joy next to salvation in his gospel. Back in chapter 1, verse 14, this combination of good news and joy is also found in the early announcement of John the Baptist's birth. In Luke 2, there is joy in heaven when God delighted to announce to the world his message of salvation. When we get to Luke 15, verse 7, we learn there's much joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And Luke will end his account in chapter 24, verse 52, with the disciples returning to Jerusalem with great joy. And as we shall see, there is an expectation that this joy is to be shared by the people. And it will become something of a litmus test as to whether they share the values of heaven. In chapter 2, verse 48, Jesus' mother asked of Jesus, why have you treated us so? The circumstance which causes the question is the distress that they experience with losing Jesus. And any parent will know the distress it is to lose a child. How Jesus answers the question provides a valuable insight into who Jesus is and why he has come. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 49. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? What we're learning here is that Jesus is the Son of God who has come to do his father's will. And this anticipates his entire mission. And so it's another thing to be looking out for as we read through. And the word translated must in uh, verse 49 is particularly worth paying attention to. He must be about his father's business because he is the son. 
There's no question that he's going to do anything other than the Father's will, because that is what the Son does. The Son obeys the Father. And this language of must will appear again and again. So wait for it. Chapter 4, verse 43. Chapter 9, verse 22. Chapter 13, verse 33. Chapter 17, verse 25. Chapter 22, verses 37. Chapter 24, verses 7, 26, and 44. Each time it's used is to repeatedly refer to the Father's purpose, which Jesus must fulfill in his preaching and his suffering. Well, we began by considering what makes up a typical nativity play and the impression that it gives. Luke is writing to provide certainty regarding God's salvation. Not just to provide details for an authentic and accurate nativity, but confidence in the salvation that was announced. You know, we, are, we are to so understand these words that we would be confident. Confident that the salvation announced to Israel was just as God's word has said it would be. Confident that the Saviour will bring much division. Much joy, but also division. And confident that this one must do his father's will. He must, because he is the son. So let's uh, pray for one another this Christmas and beyond, that we would be confident, growing in confidence in God's salvation. And such confidence will come as we understand our salvation through Luke's account. Well, let's pray, and I'll open it up to any questions or comments. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity it is to recall many of our experiences of nativity plays and to bring uh, uh, those experiences and the impression that they create under the scrutiny of your word. We thank you for Luke's careful attention to record what happened, that we would be confident in these events and the salvation that they have announced. Uh, we thank you that Jesus is the Son and therefore he has come to do his Father's will and that will is nothing less than to bring about the redemption of your people. And we thank you that although that will cause much division, that there will cause much joy uh, joy in heaven as people repent, but also joy for the repentant as they share that joy and receive salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, any questions or comments that you may have? Susie. 
Okay. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because also you get like the brackets in verse 35 that sort of interrupt the flow and then it finishes off at the end. Um, so the question is just for the recording. In verse 34, it says that is opposed. What does that mean? Let me just start by reading the sentence without the brackets in and see if that helps a little bit. So back to verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So I think what that um, extra clause is doing, I think it's just saying, it, it's um, unpacking a bit more the previous idea that he is going to be the fall and rising of many in Israel. So in that sense, there is going to be this division that he's going to cause, depending on what people do with Jesus, cause people's downfall or rising. But then drilling into this idea that he is, he, ultimately he is going to be opposed and that's going to reveal people's, people's hearts. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, it's a funny one because I guess we know what happens. In many ways, you know, he is opposed in, in a sense that they crucify him and actually he is not. Um, and it's a funny one because you get these notes of joy that salvation is here, but then it's a, you know, it's a funny one that actually what happens is they crucify him and actually they don't, they don't want him and the salvation that he brings. So they reject God's purposes for themselves and for others. So I think Simeon is just announcing that. But it is a bit, you know, you almost would miss it if you weren't looking at it and you'd just be caught up in the wonder, amazement, expectation. Um, but actually there's already these ominous notes of opposition um, but interestingly, I mean, positively, that the opposition doesn't seem to, is not put in terms of thwarting God's plan, is that the opposition will reveal the hearts of men. Um, and it goes back to this whole question. It, the question is not, what do you think of Jesus, but what does he think of you? It goes back to Luke chapter 1. Who enthrones Jesus? God does. And therefore, you know, what are we going to do with that? So the question isn't like, you know, do you want to make Jesus king in your life? He is, he's been enthroned as king. And therefore, the, the, the response is repent, turn from running life our own way and submitting to Jesus as king. So in that sense, um, yeah, the opposition is not put in terms of, well, and interestingly, I mean, I, I say spoiler alert, one of these funny things that, one of the things that's going to help us reading through Luke is to enjoy the ride, but obviously you know where the ride goes. But this idea of what he must do is very quickly going to become, he must suffer and die. He must be hands over the Gentiles, that God's purpose for him is to be opposed and crucified because that will be the means he brings about redemption. So, um, yeah, it's Okay. Cool. Anybody else?
Uh, Hannah, and then Katie. Is the new cluster just across or is that just a global one? Yeah, thank you. Or just a, a one-off. One yeah. <coughs> the question is, is Simeon a prophet or is it just a one-off? Um, <coughs> Where is he first introduced? Oh, so verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I mean, he certainly is a, I mean, he, he is a prophet in terms of he prophesies um, I don't think we know any, do we know anything more about him apart from what's here? So I think it's, 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 only, it's only what we know. So he's certainly um, a, he is a prophet. Um, interestingly, um, in verse 25, do you notice that he says, waiting for the consolation of Israel? And then later, um, Mary says in verse 38, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And it's interesting, do you remember I asked uh, a rhetorical question last week is, what was Joseph, not Joseph, oh, what was, who was praying? What was Zechariah praying for? Do you remember Zechariah was told that by Gabriel that his prayer had been answered? And you might think, oh, was he praying for a son? He didn't have a son. Or was he praying along with Simeon and Anna for the redemption of Israel? And so then actually, that prayer has been answered. It's not simply you have a son. You will have a son, and he will play a very important role in this announcement of redemption. But actually, the prayer that's been answered, could it not be the, you know, the, the prayer for the coming um, consolation and redemption of um, Israel? So, yeah, that's okay. Oh, and Katie. Oh, yeah. Yes, so the bit in brackets, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So I guess you can divide up what this prophet Simeon says, and that he first of all makes a comment about Jesus' effect on Israel, and that he's going to divide Israel and be opposed by Israel. But the bit in brackets seems to be a comment about the effect that the coming of Jesus will have on Mary and that a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So the commentator makes um, a par parallel, but basically um, lines up with that Jesus' suffering will cause anguish for his mother. So in other words, the one that's to be born is going to be opposed, ultimately is going to be suffering, crucified, and actually that's going to cause great distress for his mother. Um, but I mean, it's not really unpacked here, and this is the whole thing about sort of enjoying the ride. It's just like there's, in amongst this note of joy and wonder, there is this. I think later Jesus will say, I, th it's, I think it's in Luke, that he says, um, um, uh, when the bridegroom leaves you, there will be sorrow. Uh, so he anticipates his own death. So there will be this period of anguish 
because they haven't worked out what's going on. So when Jesus dies, it's very distressing for not only the mother, but disciples. But he says, he, I think he likens that to birth pains and just says it's only the birth pains because the, basically you will then have a joy that will never be taken from you because that will be a joy of being reconciled to the Father. And that goes back to this thing of the, the Christian joy is not based on circumstance. A bit like we thought about the cow service, you know, where you know, a lot of our joy is circumstantial. You, know, you have good days, bad days, or you go to a party, but then this happens. But the, the joy of salvation is permanent because it's ultimately related to um, you know, permanently being reconciled to the Father, permanently being forgiven, um, you know, a, a hope that can't be taken from us, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, I think it has the effect... Of you know of, of reading on as well because you just think, oh so the other thing well, one more thing and I'll stop the other thing is it's interesting with the note of assurance which I think we need to keep coming back to in Luke is that when this was written obviously Jesus had died raised sorry died raised ascended and the church was already experiencing opposition and persecution and so again you can imagine that there would be Assurance here, thinking actually, even at the beginning, there was predicted this note of division and opposition that would continue in the lives of believers once um, Jesus had returned to the Father. I mean, one of the things I'll, I'll pray for us as, as we go on our separate ways over Christmas is that many of us find that in fact our families there is division, and actually, there is you know, Jesus has caused division in terms of what people do with him, then affects those relationships. But actually, that's exactly as was prophesied by Simeon. Therefore, isn't a cause for distress, but a cause for you know, uh, boldness and a confidence pressing on. All right. Great. Okay, let's um, leave it there. And we're going to sing, appropriately, Joy to the World. So, um, you stand and sing.